Hello, and welcome to this microdose from ACFM. I'm Nadia Idle, and I'm coming at you with a fresh intro for this chat with Nora Lopez Holden on the Spanish Civil War, which was recorded all the way back in October 2020. Because ACFM listeners, a lot has changed since then. Pablo Iglesias, co-founder of the left-wing party Podemos, resigned after they lost many seats. And we've had many more lockdowns here in the UK. The Alpha variant is no longer the COVID rage. Nora and Sam are no longer together. And I, thankfully, am no longer suffering from labyrinthitis and seemingly talking more than my guests on ACFM. Hmm... Yes, uh, I blame the drugs I was on, listeners. I will just blame the drugs. So, by way of introduction, Nora is an actor and activist. She has worked in various different theatres around the UK and is a voice artist for radio and video games. She is also an organiser and member of the Good Night Out Reading Group, a group of socialist theatre workers who meet monthly with curated discussions on structural inequalities in the theatre industry, including the Building Utopia for Theatre Workers sessions. She also does work with the Crossroads Women's Centre in King's Cross, London, particularly for the Support Not Separation group concerned with better implementations of care for precarious mothers in social services sector and advocacy and organising for women against rape. In this episode, Nora and I discuss how those involved in the Spanish Civil War were united and where difference got in the way of common action, be it between left factions or between the women and men active in the struggle. I hope your 2022 is filled with joy, everybody. Enjoy the show. This is acid, man. Nora Lopez Holden. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to ACFM. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming uh, on the show to talk about the Spanish Civil War. Mm. Very excited to have you here. So, before we get on to talking about like why you're passionate about this subject, maybe I should just let listeners know like why I was excited to talk about this. And it's a really funny story because Sam got in touch with me. Sam is your partner. Mm -hmm. He's your partner. Mm -hmm. He got in touch with me and said that your birthday was coming up. Would I be happy to record a kind of spoof ACFM for (laughs) your birthday? And I thought this was the funniest and most amazing thing ever. And so we recorded this spoof ACFM, which was hilarious. (laughs) One of the best projects I've done. So well produced, I have to say. It was unbelievable. (laughs) The production production values was, was great. Yeah, it was so good. I couldn't believe that how it came out in the end. <laughs> but on that, one of the things that Sam mentioned was that you're really interested in the Spanish Civil War. Mm-hmm. And I thought, great, this could be something that we can do a ACFM microdose on. So I got in touch with you mm-hmm. um, and here we are. Mm. Um, just to say, I think the reason for me specifically on why I was interested in the subject of Spanish Civil War is as follows. One, I don't know much about it, but I think I have quite a romanticised <laughs> kind of idea about yeah. the Spanish Civil War. Um, and then I read this book, and we'll talk about the book I- in a bit. But um, what's interesting for me is that I have this image, you know, which kind of speaks to my socialist or communist or you know, left-wing identity of the Spanish Civil War being a thing that happened in history where there was all of this international solidarity. And what's interesting for me is that I don't have a kind of universalized um, feeling about international solidarity. Definitely my anti-colonial kind of Arabness comes up against international solidarity (laughs) sometimes. And um, the example which I struggle with the most is uh, Rojava, actually, because I'm quite anti-Westerners going to fight in Rojava because it, I guess it sets me into a kind of Arab identity where I suddenly feel like, what are Westerners doing going to an ex-colony? That doesn't feel yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But then I, I think to myself, what do they think this is? The Spanish Civil War? And so like, in my, in my head, <laughs> my, reference, re- yeah. Yeah, my reference point <laughs> is Spanish Civil War. Yes, I'm cool with that because 
they don't have a colonial relationship yeah. whereas you know England and Syria does and it is a real struggle for me yeah, think about yeah, that yeah, so yeah. so maybe just on that kind of slightly away from the main topic but just interested do you have specific feelings about like the international solidarity like do you feel more Spanish when you think about the Spanish Civil War or is that not a reference point for how Things sit with you? Oh, it's a really weird thing. So I was born in Madrid and lived there until I was eight and then moved to England. So my experience of like growing up as an adult in England, feeling like I miss home as a Spaniard, like identifying as a Spaniard, but then in Spain, identifying as a Spaniard feels very right wing and Francoist and nationalist and stuff. So like I had this weird balance of not knowing where to put that pro like pride uh, sort of like yearning for my country, whatever that means, until I sort of like knew bits and bobs what my mum had told me about the, the, Repu the Spanish Republic, but I did, didn't know that much because my Spanish family didn't talk about it, didn't seem to know that much themselves about it. Being confused about that growing up and being like, what is such recent history? Why does no one really talk about mm -hmm. it at all and obviously now after sort of finding out about this structural reasons why that is but um yeah I guess that was it. it was just a balance of like being young missing Spain but also knowing instinctually that it just felt a bit dodge <laughs> to like have things with Spanish flags on and mm -hmm. stuff because so recently that iconography like stands for you know quite repressive yeah. recent re repressive yeah. regime and then from that like admittedly from that then having a very uh, like layman's understanding of C Catalan separatism in being like god I love my country and I love Spanish culture and I love flamenco and I love the food and the cult and the way of you know interpersonal way of relating so seeing like separatism Catalan separatism as like why would you want to separate from that because I of course like I missed it but um, not of like not knowing the like ins and outs yeah. of the political situation. Yeah. No, I can really identify with that thing of like where is home because mm. you know you're half English, half Spanish, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I'm half English, half Egyptian, and there's that funny kind of diaspora thing yeah. that hits your head. Where and what I was trying to say with being set into an identity is that there's sometimes cultural phenomena or things that happen politically which set you back in or at least for me, where suddenly I feel Egyptian and I want to yeah. wave the Egyptian flag, but yeah. I'm against flag waving. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I can't do that from the English side, but I definitely want to do that from yeah, the Egyptian yeah. side. But hang on a minute, how does this work with my kind of socialism? So, so yeah, no, I was just interested in like whether it, 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 you experience that from a kind of, you feel more Spanish, yeah. or even if that's a thing, you know. Or what you were saying about how other people put identity onto you. So when I'm in England, I'm the Spanish person in England. Same, in Spain, same, I'm the English. Same, same. Yeah, who can't pronounce the things perfectly and all of this, and yeah. gets the piss ripped out of her because she sounds a bit English or whatever. Cool, okay. So maybe let's start with you just telling us a little bit about why you're passionate about this or how you came to your passion about um, the Spanish Civil War before we do the like let's define terms God, yeah so just a little bit about why you care about this subject okay quite crassly I think it's been my New Year's resolution two years in the trot to learn about Spanish politics I think it was like that simplistic just know a bit more about that. Like, read Spanish newspapers like know a bit more about the situation over there mainly because to be honest I get into conversations with my dad who is all of a sudden incredibly reactionary, hasn't been ever. I'm in conflict with what he's talking to me about, about the current situation over there. And I just wanted to know more. I just wanted more ammo for my like arguments as to like why there's, there's a, a far right party now called Vox who gained loads of seats in the last election. And they're the anti-establishment party. And so a lot of people, my dad included, um, is sort of saying, you know, they're not Francoist, then it's nothing to do with Franco, blah, 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 blah. They're very, very, very far right. Um, but they're sort of like posing themselves as like not, or whatever, whatever, I don't really know. But, and he'd, he'd sort of kind of defend the the party and that it's anti-establishment and that we need something new because the government's so corrupt and all of this. And I just didn't know enough background to like sort of like have a firm position on it. And when I started to dig into like what was going on, I just knew that it, it it's, it's, yeah, there's reasons why this has happened at this po point in history mm -hmm. that is so linked with the suppression and the dictatorship mm -hmm. and why that happened, the mistrust in Spain of the left and, like, and the sort of 
conventional like right wing like leaning into right wing sort of conventions as a safety point and and I just you know when you start to uncover something you're like oh god where did that come from oh okay well that came from the coup and that this and this and that. I just wanted to become a bit of an expert because I had sort of an emotional reaction to like you know the no pasaran speech the Dolores Ibarruri speech where you know she's talking about the popular front and the and the republic but I didn't know the ins and outs of it and then I guess who is she just so so she go through this in a bit yeah so so she was the I don't know what her official title was in in the communist party in the Spanish republic during the civil war but she was kind of like the mother of the republic and like was upheld as like in a in like misogynistic way as like the virginal like the mother of the republic the female the one like female woman who was validated on the left the sort of like head female figure on the left and she did a speech madrid was the last to fall under the spanish civil war and she was from madrid and she did a speech the no pasaran speech which is like obviously that got really famous and stuff um and is that where the no pasaran yeah that's where uh, it comes from comes from yeah like, okay. yeah yeah that's where it comes from and she's talking about yeah so they shall not pass so that all of these places were falling and Madrid was the last place to fall and she's, you know, saying they, they won't get here and we'll stand strong where, like, all the resources and everything had been eked out and there was no hope left that she gave this amazing speech. And they, in this context, just for, for listeners who might be new to the subject, yeah. so they are the fascists. Yeah, this, the fascists, the phalangists, yeah. right, as they call them. So I tried to find an acquit- it's like embarrassingly messaged all my sort of like self-identifying politically on the left friends in Spain to say, kind of asking, is there a Navarra equivalent in Spain? Because <laughs> I want to listen to what's going on there from a non, from, like from, sort so from the left. I just want to hear us like, um, I want to follow like the news in Spain, what's going on from a less left perspective. Just wanting to know more about something that like my own like family's history with it's so recent and it just like baffled me that no one ever spoke about it. So yeah, so then I read this book, <laughs> like with all good things they always start from. At the same time as well, I sort of got a bit obsessed with like the intersectionality between like sexism in the left. <laughs> and yeah, just like how misogynist like the left can be and how that how how we come up against that as women on the left that are supposed to be sort of standing shoulder to shoulder with our comrades who I don't know fall so short of like those things anyway so I read this novel called No Turning Back is the the English translation we'll put it in the show notes right No Turning Back No Turning Back which is a novel by a Spanish writer called Lydia Falcon she's a writer she's an activist she's the leader of the feminist party she's Catalan and it's a novel about women who were imprisoned during the dictatorship who had fought as part of the republic and it's kind of about love and interpersonal you know, how you experience sexism interpersonally in your relationships when you fall in love with a man and when that man happens to be a part of the communist left and, like, all of those weird contradictions. And it just absolutely blew my mind, that novel. So from then, from then I was just, yeah, sort of obsessed and read George Orwell's Homage to Catalonia and kind of, yeah, it became my hobby. Right. Let's define terms, okay. just some basic stuff before we like get into more of this. Cool. And if, if you hear crackling uh, <laughs> listeners, this is because we're eating grapes and uh, just loads of fruit bars. Mm. So, you know, you'll hear the tea slurping, etc. <laughs> um, okay, so just, just a quick rundown of history and we'll do this between yeah, us. Great. So basically, uh, Spain was a kingdom, is that right? Yeah. At some point. And then it became a republic. This is before the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. So then, basically, as I understand it, in 1936, there was a, this was the beginning of the military coup yeah. to try and basically eradicate the revolutionary potential. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then that stayed until, well, the, the whole Spanish Civil War went until 1939, mm-hmm. and in 1939, it collapsed. Yeah. Um, and after that, that was the beginning of the Francoist dictatorship, dictatorship. and Franco was the one of the leaders yeah. of the of the right wing coup. Is this yeah, correct? Yeah, Something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. The um, gen- general. The general. general. Yeah. And then basically, it was from then. It, it was nineteen. 
75, his death until 1975, effectively Spain was underneath a dictatorship. Yeah. But you had this window, which is only three years, mm -hmm. which of which all of this incredible and crazy sort of time in Spanish history where you had all of these different kinds of radical left forces yeah. came together. And it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I didn't know anything about this subject beyond the kind of romanticized <laughs> idea of this mm -hmm. is when there were people from all around the world traveling to fight for socialism. Of course, there was, well, socialism in the broadest sense, yeah. let's say, because um, of course there's so many different factions. Yeah. <laughs> While, of course, there's the rise of uh, Hitler yeah, yeah. Um, and the effect that that had on uh, socialists uh, in Europe particularly going, if we don't go and do something about this in Spain, if we lose Spain, mm -hmm. we'll lose basically the world, I yeah. think was a lot of what people um, felt. And of course, that didn't happen because the Allied forces won the Second, uh, the Second World War, but there was this incredible surge of kind of internationalism. Yeah. And I suppose that's one of the reasons why even from the small bits of imagery or, you know, the quotes like no pasarán yeah, or whatever, yeah. we, I think, um, hold on to yeah. bits from, from the Spanish Civil War. So just to say, before we get into the details, by complete coincidence, <laughs> Freedom Books, they're an independent anarchist bookshop in East London, published this book called Fighting Women, which I'm holding in my hand, which is a series of interviews by a lady called Isabella Lorusso um, with women who lived during the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. And this book has literally just come out and we'd already agreed <laughs> yeah. to have this, this, this chat. But then we both went on the Zoom meeting that was about the launch of this book because even though these interviews, some of them were done in the 90s and the noughties, it's never been translated into English. Mm. But I picked up, the, I, know, I ordered the book because I thought, I want to support Freedom Books. And by the way, you can't get this on any of the other, like Amazon, etc. You need to buy this from Freedom, but we'll put a link in the show notes. But I thought, oh, I'll just get this and read it. And I was absolutely blown away <laughs> by this book. And I know you haven't read it no, yet. I'm so excited. I'm going to give it to you after this. And just, I guess, at the top of the show, I just want to say uh, a couple of things about what I learnt from this book. And then hopefully you can tell us if mm. any of that resonates with you and then yeah, we can great. talk about the, the detail of the Spanish Civil War from that perspective. The first thing I thought when I finished reading this, which I finished in a few days, um, is I never want to read another book which is not just interviews with a group of women who yeah. are involved in something. Yeah, yeah. Because it is just incredible and just a completely different way of understanding history yeah. to read interviews with people, especially women, and you realise the extent at which it's a story that wasn't told um, or isn't told in a kind of top-line way anyway. So I really recommend this book, Fighting Women. Um, yeah, do you want I, to I was just going to say, yeah, I think like that—that that is the thing when you when I was on the Zoom and hearing about the book that I was like, oh, it's like how you experience these structural things, literally how you experience them day to day. And I think that's what the thing about that No Turning Back novel that I read—that it was all structural, huge political things that they were discussing, but the human like thing that was driving it because that's the experiential thing. So the reason that my family don't talk about politics around the table or don't talk about Spanish Civil War, don't talk about the repression is like a structural reason but like you experience it on a personal level so that's exactly how I want to learn and read about these things is like like you're saying just an interview with people who have experienced it rather than sort of like outside academic analysis of of it. This this book involves interviews with people who are on the Stalinist mm -hmm. side, mm -hmm. the, 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 who are, you know, the baddies. Yeah. Uh, the baddies, the baddies of the left. The baddies of the left. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it has interviews with a lot of women in the POM. The POM, yeah. The POM, which are the anti-Stalinist yeah. left. Sort of anarcho-syndicalist. Anarcho-syndicalist, right. <laughs> and also with the anarchists, and yeah. also with Mujeres Libres, and... I mean, what a great name, like the free women. Oh. Is that a good translation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's every, I mean, my, the hair is standing on the end of my skin now, just thinking, just reading the stuff on Mujeres Libres from this book. But there's interviews with all of these women 
or many of whom, you know, had really strong disagreements with each other For sure, yeah. during the Spanish Civil War, but they all said this, and different personalities, and you read the interviews, and some women give one-liners, and some give, you know, pages, and they all said the same thing, which is that we were fighting two revolutions. We were fighting the revolution with our male comrades on the streets and in the meetings, and we were fighting the revolution at home against them yeah. because of patriarchy yeah, because yeah, yeah. all of these men and these comrades who were like spoke all of these words you know in politics and ideology about egalitarianism but when it came to the home they were like no of course i'm not doing the washing mm-hmm. up so and that's they're, one they're thing. against yeah. the church in a sort of political sense because the church represents the right wing but the sort of conditioned patriarchal notions that they had towards their mothers or their wives or whatever is something that was explored in, in that book as well. And, like, all of these women that were in the book, the No Pasaran, the no, no Turning Back book, the, these women that were imprisoned by the Francoists who were part of the Communist parties and all of these, were, like, how they upheld patriarchy in that, like, no, no, my interpersonal relationship with my husband isn't important because the fight is more important and the fight and the fight and just, like, sort of regurgitating... Um, top heavy sort of party lines from the top of these like men <laughs> um, and they were experiencing like rape and whatever in, in these prisons and being like my womanness isn't important I'm going to put that to the side because the important thing is a struggle is a struggle is a struggle from a like male perspective the intersection of that just is just yeah fascinating yeah. I'm so excited to read this book oh my god oh my god <laughs> I'm excited to give it to you <laughs> um, this was going to be one of my questions I guess to you even though you've not read this yet you mentioned rape mm. in the prisons, mm-hmm. and one thing that doesn't come up, and you know, and I don't think it's because of the translation, mm-hmm. although you can read it and, and let me know, but rape isn't mentioned once right. in this book. And, and that was actually something that I was interested in, because there's very kind of eloquent and expansive explanations of you know, how patriarchy manifested itself, but rape isn't mentioned and I'm just interested in that I I don't know if you have anything to say about that about why all of these really militant women I mean we're talking about there's a woman who's 102 years old who is about 10 times more militant than I can ever imagine to be (laughs) in this book it is just (laughs) so inspiring and also completely nuts but nobody mentions rape right the women the red women that were imprisoned uh, during the dictatorship experienced the oppression of them being the sort of like the co- you know the communists or the wives of communists or whatever both on the sort of like political spectrum and then on the gender spectrum that it was not just their ideologies or whatever wherever they landed on the political spectrum but also their bodies that were then like to be punished for it like one thing that is that you rarely hear about in in the general discourse i mean whether it's left or right to be honest about the second world war is what happened to german women yeah you know when when the russian and other allied forces came in um and the amount of rape but you just don't you know it's like the number one yeah. thing that happens the losing sides you know women lose the right to uh have their bodies as theirs yeah. which of course is horrific yeah and yeah, yeah. one of the biggest discipliners of women and that, that also that the second wave feminist movement was happening in Spain at a time also when it was like during the dictatorship so it's this weird conflict of like women around the 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 sort of political consciousness shift of women in the liberation movement globally with Spanish women were experiencing it under a sort of like oppressive catholic regime dictatorship so yeah, it's just loads going on, loads going on. That's still very interesting that you bring that up because one of the first interviews in here, I don't know if I'll be able to find it. So Mujeres Libres, mm-hmm. okay, is a group. It's an anarchist women's organization that was set up. My understanding is at the beginning of the civil war, or maybe just just before that, and it was a women women's only kind of organizing space. And there was this debate, and this is one of the questions that's asked of all women in this book, is like, were you organising with, did you think it was important to organise with women only, or were you organising in spaces that was kind of women and men? Mm. So, so yeah, so there's this whole discussion about whether their role was to fight on the front, which very different groups of men felt different things about yeah. and apparently there were very there were more women that went to the front but not necessarily fighting 
Right. And there's different opinions on that. And okay. there are some women in this book who are like, how can a woman kill another person's children, is her quote. Wow. And felt really strongly that women, you know, you, you'd go and you'd support your side, but as a woman, she didn't understand how you could kill someone else. And there's other people on the other side, you know, other women in this book going, no, you know, I was very happy to, you know, have arms when we could get them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, uh, and do this thing, but um, recognizing that women had to organize themselves and that they had to fight patriarchy alongside this progressive revolution that was trying to happen. Yeah. And that if you didn't have women organizing in their own space, they wouldn't be able to participate in trade unions because they wouldn't be able to have a voice because the men would dominate the meetings and then they would be stuck at home. And so Whereas there are some women in that movement who are like, no, it was better for us to be doing more of the mutual aid yeah. stuff. But exactly what they were doing, I think there's different views on yeah. it, basically. But they were very well organised, it seems. Yeah. So I read this novel, and then afterwards, you know, every, the seminal piece of, of, of writing that is held up is, is George Orwell's Homage to Catalonia. And I like started reading it, and I was a little bit like, oh, yeah, what has this, like, like intellectual, like, English man got to say about like the front line of the Spanish Civil War like after just reading that thing and then so I read that and because the there's a Ken Lodge film called Land and Freedom which comes up a lot in yeah. this book yeah yeah so and that's got women incredible female characters in it who have really really interesting arguments political arguments throughout it but I didn't know because I'd seen that film a few years ago and thought it was brilliant but I didn't know that it's literally a dramatisation of Homage to Catalonia it's that character, he's changed the character to be a working class Liverpudlian, but it is his story of fighting in the, with the bomb in Catalonia, and there's an incredible, so have you seen it, Nadia? I have. Oh, that see, there's ago. a scene, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it where I think the, the sort of factionalism and the complexities with, like, what's going on with the Stalinists and the bomb and everything is all experienced in like a sort of town hall meeting scene and the politics oh, of it are all the expressed. Town hall meeting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's so good. It's so good. I was like the way that he's sort of summarized in a on a real like human level in a brilliant truthful scene between like seven eight people around this table the whole sort of footnotes that George Orwell wrote at the back of the book of like the ins and outs of like the contradictions with the suppression of like that particular group and the union movement being suppressed by the Stalinists and stuff, but it all comes out in this one scene around yeah. this table. It's brilliant. But then I read a book after that called Doves of War, which is about four women during the Sp Spanish Civil War, okay. two from the right and two from the left. And I was like, I started reading it. I was like, oh, it's going to be one of them. That's like, everyone's the same. And like the human, I don't know. That was just like, like filled with like Republican anger. So I like wanted to read more sort of like George Orwelly type stuff. But um, it was just fascinating. It was just fascinating. Uh, with the, there was, the two women on the left was Nan Green, who is my knitted doll. She, so she's called Nan Green. And she was an English member of the Communist Party who went over to fight. She went over as a nurse, like trained up in the medical side as part of the Republic. And then did loads of incredible amazing thing. I mean, that's a whole podcast on Nan Green on, my own, on her own she's amazing and then a woman called Margarita Nelkin who was the leader of the so became one of the leaders of the socialist party during the Spanish Civil War but was a part of the sort of um, uh, the bourgeoisie like she was very much a part of like the sort of upper middle classes but part of the republic so you saw that factional split there. And then there was like Priscilla something something that was a part of the English aristocracy who went over to fight on the Franco side as part as a nurse, but as part of the phalangists, but was from England. <laughs> um, and then obviously the second, the second World War came after Franco won. And then she was like in conflict because she was like, obviously I have to fight for my country in England now, but I'm fighting against the people who I've just been fighting for on the Francoist side. It's just a mess. And then a woman who was the wife of, again, all of these people are like wives, wives of like prolific people and the wife of a really big leading figure in one of the Francoist armies who he passed away and then they upheld her as the sort of like Mother Teresa of like the right wing. Right. Um, and she did loads of like 
philanthropist, like charitable work in the rebuilding after the Spanish Civil War, but from Francoist side. I mean, it feel it feels like it was just like there was this space that opened, and you know, it was funny because I was talking to my mom about this book, and my mom lived through the Lebanese Civil War, right? And we were talking about it, and and as I was talking about it, I was like. Actually, this does sound a bit like the Lebanese Civil War, even though it's quite a different context, but in the sense that there were all these different factions won, and then what happens is that when a space opens, you suddenly get all of the global players yeah. going, and I'm going to get a foothold in this. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. basically what happened, is it was, it was an opportunity for both ordinary people to get involved yeah. on the right side and the left side yeah, yeah. but it was also of course for global politics in terms of like arms and influence and whatever which is you know what happened in Lebanon but also what happened in Spain yeah but maybe let's just at this point define a couple of things just for people who are listening so things that we've talked about so so you had you know the right-wing fascist anti-republican mm -hmm. side fighting everyone else yeah. But the main issue is that on the everyone else, and <laughs> this is what uh, Land and Freedom mm -hmm. is really good at articulating the Ken Loach film, is that the official party, which is Partido Comunista de España, yeah. um, which is the PCE, the, is the authoritarian party. The so Spanish the, Communist Party. Yeah, they are the pro-USSR. Well, women in this book and what we will generally call like the Stalinists. Mm -hmm. They are the left baddies mm -hmm. uh, which which probably gave communism a bad big time yeah. bad name big time that we're still fa paying for today yeah. you know and, and they the, by the way had all of the mon the resources because yeah. they were backed up by the soviet exactly. union so in england the english communist party obviously had alliances with the communist party in spain so that how they were talking about the sort of trotsky rebels that were trying to dissuade the progress of the spanish civil war as opposed to like he was living it and he was like experiencing it but who's back who's like backing who in which country is like really interesting because obviously like before social media or before whatever yeah the the, the english comrades who went over the international brigades are getting all the information from like the English communist papers. Mm. So the way that they're framing the bomb or the like, um, yeah, that are going away from the party line or whatever is very specific. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? As opposed to, I think that was his experience of it, right? Is that like, he was like, he got back after having lived it and then read the sort of revisionism of it so this from is the communist side. So this side. is Orwell you're talking about. Yeah. So, as in, so when he went over to fight, who, who, what was his entry point? He fought with the POM. With the POM, yeah. okay. He, d he, did, he signed up as and part the of the Republic. Again, so this is the anti-Stalinist communist party. Which was the union, the workers' union, the, yeah. and the left of the communist party yeah. like came together yeah. to... Um, and they and were, it, they formed in 1935, it yeah. says, but they were suppressed by 1937. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the romanticised idea that you were talking about at the beginning about the sort of Spanish Civil War and the, like, is definitely... Well, I mean, I've, you're sort of biased by what you read and whatever, but, like, how George Orwell, like, explains, like, fighting in that army. He's like, we had nothing, like, the arms. It, it, we had no resources. It was crap. No one was trained up. It was ridiculous, but it was as close to a sort of like democratic, everyone who fought there knew why they were there. There was no like politics of fear. There was no, you know, if you if you were like disciplined by the person above you, it wasn't because he was above you. It was because it was just as close to like an egalitarian army as you could get, which as soon as like that got suppressed, then yeah, the sort of bureaucracy of like then the communist part, the Stalinist like became so much more rigid. Um, I've got I've gone off track there, but yeah, I just find that really interesting about like, again, the Soviet Union funding like the communist publications around Europe. So like how this factionalism got revised yeah. <laughs> after that with like sort of vested interest within the sort of communist party line. And if yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And they said and they talked about that in that Doves of War book that I I mentioned before that Nan Green, who's a member of the British Communist Party, again went there, went to the front and saw the complete hypocrisy of what was going on, but couldn't speak out against it or if she did, got like called a traitor and all of this. Yeah. So the other two things I was going to say I took from this book, apart from the fact that I only want to read books that are interviews with women mm -hmm. who went through shit and mm -hmm. did shit, uh, which is amazing. The second thing is, oh my God, the factionalism, it's the same now as it was then, massive facepalm. <laughs> is this ever going to end? 
can we just work together despite our differences clearly not why that's is what the big question recently someone said to me god it's just like the left is such an echo chamber blah, blah, blah. i was like do you have any idea like there's no what echo like chamber <laughs> what is like inside here i wish it was an echo chamber it's not at all yeah. jesus christ and, and then the third one is the, the point that i brought up earlier which is that uh the patriarchy there was two revolutions mm-hmm. there was one you know outside on the streets and on the front and another one at home mm-hmm. um so so yeah, so I'm just going to read uh, different bits as we talk about right. that, that Please, right? yeah. please, yeah. So this is part of an interview with Pepita Carpena, mm-hmm. I think I pronounced that right, who was an anarchist, and she was interviewed in March 1997. This is her picture. You can't see it, um, listeners, unfortunately, but you have to buy the book for that. Um, and she was in Mujeres Libres, mm-hmm. and she, uh, it says here, issued propaganda from Mujeres Libres, the feminist group. Mm. And so this is just a passage where she's just talking about various things, um, and I thought this was an interesting passage, so I'll read it out. So she says, I've already told you that I started working at a factory, and it was there that I met women of Mujeres Libres who were looking for new militants. I believed that w- women and men should fight together. I wasn't interested in a female movement. This is how it should be from a logical point of view. As it happens, within the anarchist movement, there is no distinction based on gender, social class, race or whatever. But theory and practice are not the same thing and human beings are not infallible. I'm especially referring to men. Whether they are anarchists or not, they are all the same. At the time, I had not yet joined Mujeres Libres. And then she goes on yeah, to explain yeah, yeah. that she joined Mujeres Libres because she found that there was this massive disjoint between theory and practice in mm-hmm. terms of how the men behaved. And then she goes on and then they talk about a little bit about machismo. And then, um, yeah, so the interviewer, Isabella, is asking her, there was a lot of machismo in that period, wasn't there? And she says, yes, undoubtedly. At that time during the revolution, many women wanted sexual liberation as well. Mm-hmm. I think that there should be no difference between men and women, also from a sexual point of view. One day, a guy who belonged to the libertarian youth told me, you act like a libertarian, but if I ask you to have sex with, with me, you won't go with me. Luckily, I was quick on the draw and replied, I only have sex with the men I like, and I wouldn't kiss your mouth for all the money in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I was so upset that eventually I left and added, from now on, I will work only with women. Mm. So that was the turning point for her mm-hmm. of that moment of like, you know, and I think we all know someone who's been there. For sure. Yeah. And it's like, we're not in 1935, mm-hmm. but it's so, so familiar, mm. you know. And, you know, as are all of the stories of how amazing it was, you know, working alongside men. Mm-hmm. But it's this constant thing of you being reminded that you're a woman yeah. because it comes up at a point and then you're not equal yeah. because you have this double, this double job to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Woof, big time. And the other thing that, that, that jumped out at me is that most of these women got politically active when they were, you know, 13, 14, 15. Mm. Like by the time they were in their thirties, you know, they had been through some serious shit. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, well, they, yeah. well, there was that thing of seeing the sort of movement that was like anti-Catholic, anti-church, because a lot of the Republic was so they'd, when the the Republic liberated a town, that one of the first things that they do is they'd go into like the church and like take down the iconography and whatever. That the women were f- seeing that and fighting it on a sort of like yeah, we can see how really, like, oppressive these, the, like, Catholic regime is on our bodies and all of these things, but that the sort of liberation thing only moved so far, and that a lot of these women's, women as part of the left were, like, vilified as women as well as, like, being on the left, even by their own side. So that Margarita Nelkin, who I mes- mentioned before, who was, like, one of the leaders of the Socialist Party, was, like, vilified for, for not being for not being married, for, like, having children outside of a marriage, and, like, and it's, it's like, hang on a minute, aren't we anti, aren't we anti, sort of, like, repressive Catholic values, but the misogyny is just still seeping into the, sort of, like, factionalism with it all, the undermining of, like, what can a woman tell us about politics, but then also the, sort of, like, yeah, 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 we're all fighting for freedom, but 
you should probably like be married before you have children or yeah, do you like, know what I mean like actually yeah yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I won't respect you unless you're yeah married. exactly like, there are different views on marriage in this book it's yeah. interesting and she does press that the, the both of the interviewers quite a bit that thing of like but did you marry him or you didn't and some women are like marriage is totally pointless and others were like mm, it was practical and others like no actually I do believe in marriage yeah so, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 there's this bit here where Pepita's saying, uh, she's talking about another um, uh, another person. She said, so Pepita's saying about her, she said that childless women are like trees without fruit. Well, nobody should, nobody should say that, especially a woman like her. And she said this only because she had three children. What does this mean? I'm fed up about discussions about children. Some comrades of mine used to say, anarchist blood flows in my veins. This is very stupid. Anarchy is not hereditary. Anarchy derives from a revolutionary attitude, from willingness to fight against injustices, and you're an anarchist if you chose to be if you choose to be such, right? Mm. You cannot be an anarchist just because your father was one. <laughs> Do you understand? Wow! I absolutely love that passage because I am also sick to death of, and I understand why people do it. It doesn't mean I'm not sick to death of it. Of people saying. My father was in the Labour Party, and his father before that was in the Labour Party, and I've been in the Labour Party for 500 years. I don't care. It doesn't mean anything, yeah. It doesn't mean anything, and I think it doesn't matter whether, you know, you're defined as an anarchist or a communist, or you don't define as anything. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't choose what we're born into. Mm -hmm. And you can borrow from that, and, you know, in your case, you know, you're very inspired by your family. But I think... It's that important thing about values is that we have to be agents in being able to choose our, our values. There's this amazing scene in, in the novel, in that no Lydia Falcon novel, where um, so it's a women's women's uh, war, the, part of the prison for all the women that fought in yeah. the, as part of the Republic. And this one woman comes in and she's sort of like slightly more liberated in a sense than the rest of them. And she starts uh, and they, they're all a bit like overwhelmed by her or her sort of like weird rebellious ways even though they're all like supposed to be like sort of anti-establishment like women as part of these parties but you can tell that they're all wives of people high up in these unions yeah. or whatever and um she comes and one of the nights she like starts masturbating and the women are like absolutely like so um embarrassed and like disgusted by it and there's this incredible scene that happens where she's like, where they're like, you know, we've got husbands and they're in, they're being tortured in other prisons in wh whatever part of Castilla-La Mancha or whatever. And um, this woman's like, what, you think they're not masturbating? So like, you're keeping yourselves pure in these prisons because your husband's like... <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But the, the irony is like, that it's all these women that have fought on the battlefield for like liberation, like class liberation... But then, like, but the sort of gender a, liberation goes out the because that's, window. That's the coping mechanism, isn't it? Yeah. Is for you to believe that women can be free, you've either got two choices. You either have to go with it yeah. and do it, or you buy the idea that you have to not masturbate at home because your husband in jail is clearly not masturbating <laughs> at all. Because, you know... Or, you know, like whoever, this other famous guy in here who goes away to uh, Soviet Union and comes back with another wife and yeah. kids or whatever. That, that fulfills a function for us yeah. psychologically. And when you're all doing it as a group of women, you're like, no, we are. We're staying at home. We're doing the right thing because we're, we're on the same side. Because that's it's our so, responsibility in the and struggle. And it's easier, like, even yeah. though you're suffering. Yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of easier to do that. And, you know, we've all done that at mm -hmm. points in our life, and we do that over history sure, yeah. in these moments of crisis where you just think, you know, it's better that I just do this mm -hmm. because it takes so much of your brain power and your, your energy to step outside and say, actually this is fucking bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, an emperor's new clothes, kind of. Yeah. Like, this is, this, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting, because the same thing was happening with the factions of, like, uh, as far as I understood it with, like, the sort of, what is it, CNT? El Partido Comunista de España, the, the, the Communist Party, and the union movement, and the sort of, let and the workers' parties and stuff, that they were kind of like, let's just win the civil this war one. first yeah, 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 let's just yeah. do that first and then we'll talk about revolution or then we'll talk about like Women. more right well exactly but, but even before that we'll, we'll get dishwashers we'll, we'll start importing yeah. the dishwashers and you know and the childcare yeah. but let's just win this one ladies but th that's what was happening like alongside yeah. it because like even take take the sort of gender politics out of it that the sort of like 
mid like right of the republic were saying let's just win win against the fascists first and then you'll get your rights and then you'll get your living wage and then you'll get your better conditions yeah, gotcha, gotcha. but then at the same time that's what they were saying to the women of like well let's just win liberation first and then we'll talk about free exactly like yeah. you just said and then we'll talk about free childcare and then we'll talk about multiple sexual part whatever whatever it is yeah. and it's also the the linear view of change yeah right? yeah so exactly the theory of change when it comes to kind of dogmatic authoritarian parties yeah. is that there is an order of things there's a proper order of things and we have to do them in the row which actually obscures the vantage point and yeah. the gaze which yeah. where you're sitting because it can only be authoritarian males yeah. who can afford to do that so i thought on the question of abortion yeah. i would read out just a little bit of text from this uh, first interview in the book fighting women uh, with pepita who is explaining the context is that uh, abortion was legal was made legal in Spain in 1936, mm -hmm. um, which is of course very early, and then this was um, yeah. uh, rolled back by uh, the dictatorship when Franco got in in 1939, yeah, I yeah. assume, which is, is very early compared to other countries because France only got the um, abortion legalized in 1976. But this is the context of the conversation that the interviewer Isabella is having with Pepita. But I thought this was a nice passage just to read and um, to give. Um, listeners a, a flavour of why Mujeres Libres uh, was set up um, and what it was like uh, as a working woman. So um, this is from an unpublished story of the struggle of a free woman. It's Pepita saying this. So, the need for a specific female movement was very strong in 1936, thanks to the feverish political and social activity during the Civil War. However, many women had already become aware of their condition of slavery, both as workers and as women, and started to join the CNT, so that's the syndicalist um, uh, union, mm. uh, workers' union, CNT movement, which represented the most appalling ideology. Yeah. This is the reason for their name, Mujeres Libres, that's the free women, which means women without prejudice. Our trade union struggle continued within the FI. L, which is the Iberian Liberation Federation, um, where we discussed all the problems concerning the status of women, including sexual and social issues. Culture covered most of our activities because at that time only a few women were able to study while most of us could just read and write. Almost all the women from the age of 12 had to work. The conditions of the workers were so miserable that we managed on our own to learn basic ideas and we were unaware that we were unaware of. Most of us joined Mujeres Libres and believed that men and women could fight together. The most urgent struggle concerning workers, and we had to fight in our own area of competence, at home, in our daily environment. We had to eradicate the prejudices resulting from so many years of Christian education. We joined the trade unions as militants, however. The total emancipation of the individual was an entirely different story. Unfortunately, our comrades, who were good militants, put the issues of women aside, stating that women weren't able to understand problems. Their attitude was condescending. They behaved as if they were doing us a favour. During our discussions, we clearly realised the separation between men and women was due to prejudices which, which were difficult to be eradicated. So that's mm. the piece. Um, yeah, and that's in the context of having a chat about the fact that abortions were taking place anyway, but, but it was an important moment that it was legalised and of course that was something that was taken away. Yeah, and I was just saying time. how similar and scary that feels at the moment with this, like, the rise of the far right in Spain, that they're really rolling back on, like, feminist policies that have been so hard fought after Franco's dictatorship, like, Vox particularly, one of their things is to, like, revoke the rape within a marriage so law. So who's Vox? So Vox is a new party in Spain that gained loads of seats in the last election, contrary to what anyone was, thought was going to happen, because they were sort of anti the separatist movement, they are anti the separatist movement, um, and they're just, yeah, really, really far right, nationalist, um, bad Separatist as in? Uh, Cat uh, Catalonia, Catalonia, yeah, yeah. Separatist, yeah. Um, and blaming the years of austerity since the financial crisis on a whole upheaval of things rather than the sort of like 
cuts exactly the same as like this country's um, experienced rather than putting the blame where it is which yeah. is on that austerity measures they're saying that it is like the migrants or the Catalonia that's like wanting to like do you know what I mean like, yeah. sort of but yeah that they're revoking a lot of their policies are like revoking loads of progressive feminist policies that mm-hmm. are relatively new like yeah. since the 70s since Franco Franco's regime ended but that's so my, it's really scary yeah it is really scary and also like the big learning is you don't stop struggling for your rights mm-hmm. like you cannot take things for granted you cannot take the minimum wage for granted you can't take the right to vote for granted for granted you can't take the right to control your body for granted no. like these things it's not a linear, linear thing is it it's no but also it can just it can just flip yeah and um you know at any point in time and and then and then you look back and you think how did we get here yeah you know, I just think it's really interesting, mm. all the stuff in abortion, the fact that it was so high on the feminist agenda at that time, yeah. um, and and it was temporarily won, yeah, and then it was yeah, taken yeah. away. And having had such riches, and then into a, what is it, for 50, 60 years dictatorship after that, after having experienced, like, relative liberation. Exactly. Is just even more heartbreaking than never having experienced it at all, in a sense, like... To know that it's possible, as opposed to the sort of capitalist realism of like, well, this is how it is. This is how it is. Yeah, and and that makes then it it makes sense why people would not want to talk about it. Yeah. But we thought before we we talk about I think what might be our final point about the silence mm. pact. Um, do you want to talk about stolen babies? Oh God, yeah. Just so it, it 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 relates to the silence pact. So a reason why I why I feel really connected to all of the things that we're talking about is because like no one in my life or in my so far in my family my friends seems to be able to talk about it with any kind of clarity or experience or whatever and it is this structural problem that I mentioned at the beginning about this like after Franco died a way to um, rebuild a society was this like silence pact that the government decided upon which like things were going to be forgotten and we we're going to move on because otherwise like how do we even begin to like heal the wounds of like and you're talking years. about your family and this is your family in spain well these are just like my family a, a family of like yeah working class people normal people having lived through the dictatorship and then starting experiencing like liber- relative liberation that still now in 2020 can't seem to it's not like a sort of brexit where everyone's like talking about it over the dinner table and people have their different views there's just a weird silence with anything to do with like the dictatorship particularly or how it was there's a there's an amazing documentary uh, as part of storyville on bbc iplayer that almadova produced and it's called like franco the secrecy of franco's crimes or something and it's about all of these um campaigns and movements that have been working to like achieve like reparations and um justice for like the families of people who were imprisoned and tortured and stuff and that there's been like no justice even in since he died but i met a a spanish lady only last week actually mm-hmm. um who's like a really good friend of my partner's and she was like i think she was like 70 or 18 we were talking a little bit about lockdown and i just said about how i'd been researching all of these things and she said to me and she was so embarrassed she was like I don't know anything about it I they didn't teach us anything at school families were like encouraged not to talk about like the ins and outs of politics and stuff and what was going on because it was illegal so like if if, like the left the suppressed left wanted to meet during the dictatorship obviously had to meet like in clandestine like Mm. bars and talk about what was going on and stuff but yeah as part of this that they mentioned on that documentary was these things that started coming out that like during the dictatorship these women uh, who had given birth in these hospitals had gone all this time thinking that their babies had died <laughs> um, when they were born, that they'd miscarried in the moment of, like, birthing. And actually what had happened is that, like, the the hospital had like, got these children, these newborn babies, and put them up as part of this, like, adoption network that, that were, like, babies of left-wing women to, like, breed the communist ideology, like, out of them and then, like were sort of then plucked into families like 
like military families, military families it's and like so dark it's crazy it's such it's a crazy. random like a, idea of that the, but you know, going back to the quote that we said here it's like it's such a strange idea i mean it's really it, it, i mean obviously it's really horrific but just even the premise of that that you can breathe like ethnic cleansing yeah you can yeah. breathe leftism out of, yeah. to take the babies of lefties and put them in right-wing families yeah 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 because if you didn't then they would automatically be lefty yeah. which is just very straight it's both strange and obviously incredibly dark it's so dark and, and that so it felt and these sort of things have happened yeah. in war but that on this documentary you're seeing the movement of women now now <laughs> like in in 2015 2014 2016 as part of these campaigns to like get information on their children that are still alive that they thought died at birth because it all happened at this cross-section of we need to move on from society so let's forget everything so all of this dark shit just got put in a filing cabinet and you know the the hospital or whoever was responsible for it never got sued or investigated or whatever because we're just rebuilding spain from a democratic point of view and all of this crazy shit that's going on in this dark room has never even been like opened because in the name of like forward momentum Pro, and moving, yeah, yeah progress, yeah. which is crazy. How are you, sp and you know, they, 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 it's amazing. They talk about like these like left wing people, part of the like, you know, people who fought for the Republic or like sons of, and sons and daughters of people who fought for the Republic having to grow up in streets in Spain that are like named Calle Generalismo, the, which have a general from the Francoist regime and like walk into school, seeing that every day as part of the democracy, but like, there's no reparations, there's no justice being made. So it's like mm -hmm. this weird national like swallowing of like injustice. It's like an internalizing. Completely, like, yeah. completely. And then seeing that this is like to tie the whole conversation, the effect that that's having now with like the sort of complete fractured sort of political stuff because no one trusts the government because in Spain, the centrist and the right have always been so, so um, corrupt and in terms of like political like tax evasions and all of this and like eking like um money out of the public funds and stuff but there's also a sort of like not knowing like intrinsically why this scary looming far right can just come and swoop in complete like sort of national ideology because there was never true political education about what happened and why it happened and so it's really scary how fraught that is that people can so quickly reach for because you know, you can't learn from the past no. if you don't know what what's happened. Is. Exactly, exactly. But like what we, you was just saying, that like progress is not a linear thing. Yeah. That it just gets better and better and better and better and better and more liberated. That like it just works in cycles completely. That that a Spain in twenty in nineteen thirty five six was more liberated than a Spain in like the early seventies. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it was really that. interesting what you were saying about um, how you know, second wave feminism was happening all around the world, in the West at least, yeah. you know, while Spain was going through this dictatorship, so women were relating to it in a very strange way, and, yeah. I, was, and I think in, in the break we were having a chat that there was also, that even at the point of, the, uh, of the, the civil war itself, there were women who were saying, we don't want to define as feminist because we see feminism as the thing that cares about the voting, yeah. whereas we're talking the about bourgeois, the middle class, yeah, yeah. Women, and it's interesting. Yeah. And they were like, "No, we, we're the feminine movement." And, yeah. it's, and it's just interesting how you know there's these different, mm -hmm. like how women are experiencing their liberation from different yeah. points in in history, and like juxtaposed to also what's happening in different parts. And of also the that world. anything that doesn't follow the party line is like cancelled, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to like, you know, a more yeah. sort of intersectional like complex critique of what what your material conditions are as a woman as a working class woman in yeah. spain if that goes against the communist party line then, then it's bourgeois or it's liberal or yeah. it's fascist i mean both of those words have been so overdone just in my lifetime i almost don't even though no i'm going to stop i'm saying now that i'm not going to call anything liberal or bourgeois again because i think it's lazy even yeah. though it might be true it, i just think interrogate it's lazy. It first it's, yeah yeah it's just lazy it's a it's a non it's and also something that often very lacks generosity. Yeah. And I'm kind of really bored of politics that doesn't have generosity. Yeah. And the sad thing is, is that I'm reading this book and I'm so inspired by these women, but mm -hmm. also I'm looking at the factionalism. I'm like, people weren't generous there either. No. People were being dicks to people who yeah, they agreed yeah, yeah. with 99.9% .9 of and like killing each other. Yeah. It's like, how? what do we learn from this as leftists? How can we not do this? No, it's so long. I'm so, lo yeah, I'm so over it. It's already. so, so over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's cartoonish. It got to a point where like, 
the, the Communist Party were accusing the POM, who were dying at the battlefield, trying to defend the Republic every single day, of being fascist spies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's that just comes up in the book. bizarre. Yeah. It's like bizarre. It's bizarre. You know, you read this book um, and you think about these things and you think, well, how, how do you balance the need for action, effective action, with a kind of pluralism? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how do you do that? And we come up against that all of the time. It's like, on one hand, it's like you can't just constantly have like nice circle discussions where everyone's views are taken into consideration as a replacement for action. Yeah. You do at some point need to take action, course, yeah. but how, how do we balance out that thing, that those two things? It feels like a lot of the time it is just acting within the best interest of the most precarious, which in this case was like the workers as opposed to the sort of petty bourgeois people who were like spearheading the sort of communist socialist movement in Spain, it was to protect their relative bureaucracy and wealth as opposed but to like... How do you, but how do you get those people, how do you fundamentally, structurally get those people from that vantage point once you're in the bureaucracy to see that? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that is, that is the, the question about power. And, and, you know, this is, this is, this is the age-old question and we're always trying to, you know, mm -hmm. mitigate for that when we're working in our kind of left-wing spaces. Yeah. But you read this and you're like, oh, oh fuck. God. Right. Yes, we've been doing this for a long time. But there's, it's also, I mean, the really inspiring thing for me is just reading about the conditions mm -hmm. under which this, these women were, were doing such inspiring work. Mm -hmm. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah. It's so inspirational. So I know we've spent most of the time in this chat talking about a lot of the, the shit things and the difficult <laughs> things, but really it's just, you read this, and these are interviews with women who are like 80, 90, yeah, 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 you know, it's one of them's 102, and you just think they have the same spirit as, you know, the most militant activists I know, and mm -hmm. I think it's, it's such a reminder that you don't, mellow, you do, this, this narrative that you mellow out, i.e. become more right-wing with age, is just such a load of bollocks. Nice. I mean, I've become more militant the older I've got. Um, definitely, or a lot of things, definitely on feminism. Um, and it's not, you know, it... it yeah, I don't know. There's it's something not, about not older women yeah. saying this stuff and you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah sister, yeah. I get it, man. I get it, a woman robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just before we go, unless there's something else you want to talk about, no, no, tell us a, just a little bit more about the knitted doll. <laughs> <laughs> like, the doll has not had enough this is what time. everyone really wants to hear. Yeah. Um, this is what we've been building up to. For I the just to be I, like the, the the best part of the story is that like it came out of me and my mum, <laughs> who is a an expert on the Spanish Civil War and is like hardcore. We have huge conversations about politics and stuff. We had a huge argument about something completely different, and we just couldn't sort of be in the same room with each other. And then I went into the living room. She was knitting quietly on the sofa. And um, I wasn't speaking because I was being like stubborn. And she was like, sit down, I'm going to teach you how to knit. I was like, I don't want to learn how to knit. She was like, sit down, I'm going to teach you how to knit. So I was like, oh. And I sat there and we both sat in silence while she taught me how to knit. And then I just got completely obsessed with it. And she gave me this book that was like dolls. So I started knitting this doll and I was like, I'm going to really personalise this. And then I just read about this niche pot like person in the Civil War called Nan Green, like I mentioned before, who went to fight as part of the medical aid, the international medical aid, and then like did loads for like other like um, causes, like global causes afterwards. And I was like, yeah, she's going to be called Nan Green. So I, I knitted her a jumper that was um, red, yellow and purple, which is the Republican colours. <laughs> um, little like little pants. And then Sam, my partner, bought me like these badges that were like um, Spanish anti-fascist badges. One that said no pasarán and one that said like the anti-fascist movement. So I'd like pinned a little badge on her. And there she was, Nan Green. Knitted little Nan Green. Well... Thank you, uh, Nora Lopez Holden. <laughs> you have to say all three. Yeah. Yes, it has to be said that way. That's how we did it on the Spoof Podcast. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to end by reading a short passage from an interview with uh, Teresa Rebul. This is her. There's <gasps> a picture guitar. of her playing a guitar looking like a um, So this is an interview. So she was in POM. And this is an interview with her um, in France, I think. Oh, yeah, on the, fr on the French Catalonia border in uh, June 2010. Um, and this is, this is how she ends the interview. So this is an interview between Marta and Teresa. Teresa, sorry. So Marta says, 
you have clear ideas about politics as they are today. You are not stuck in the past, but you started a process to bring your thinking up to date. You defended your work as a woman and as an artist. Are these two natures somehow intertwined? I mean, has this to do with your spirit of rebellion? And Teresa says, these things go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. However, there is no presumption. I've always done what I wanted. I sang what I wanted, I said and I thought. I've always expressed my ideas with the utmost freedom. I've never accepted any compromise. In Paris, I was told once, if you sing in French, we'll organize some concerts. But I said no, because this is dangerous. This reminds me of a Portuguese girl who came here to sing. She had a lot of success and got a big head, but she lost everything in a few days because she acted as a diva, as a duchess. I don't like this ephemeral world. I never wanted to be an artist. I am a militant first and foremost. I sang, I danced and I painted, but I always remained a militant. This is Africa.